because I made a mistake. I took the job for all the wrong reasons. I was not being true to myself. I was not being authentic. And so the most powerful lesson I've probably ever learned in my life came from that. To be true to ourselves, not what society wants us to be or loved ones want us to be, even if they are very well-intentioned. We have to be true to ourselves. We have to be authentic and live our professional lives and our personal lives in that way. And then in the long term, I think we will be fulfilled. Thrive friends, this is your host, Dr. Solomon. How to build stronger work relationships and greater happiness. I have the pleasure today to be with a great professional colleague of mine who will help us answer this tough question. Dr. Paul Corona is a professor at Kellogg School of Business at Northwestern University. He is the author of two great books, Leaves Three Habit, which is the one we'll focus on today, and The Wisdom of Walk-Ons, Winning Strategies for College Business and Life. He's also a recipient of the Thinker 50 Marshall Goldsmith Coaching and Mentorship Award, aka some of the best and the finest 50 thinkers globally in leadership and management. Paul, welcome on Thrive. Dr. Solomon, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for accepting the invitation. Paul, let's start with the name. Paul Corona, how did you feel about having a name that Mm -hmm. matched the coronavirus? They say uh, all publicity is good publicity. I'm not so sure that's the case here. But as my wife says, we are all beer and no virus in our house. So that's that's how we're looking at this. So, Paul, let's start with the three habits for better relationships and happiness. I'd admit it's one of the shortest books I have come across. Thank you for noticing that. It was intentional. And the reason why I made the book so small is so that it is a handbook, Mm -hmm. not a novel, not a self-help tome. And I made it a handbook and created a system that actually starts with a micro movie. So Mm -hmm. a person who's interested in these least three habits for stronger relationships and greater happiness would ideally watch the three-minute micro movie. Then they read this 30-minute handbook. And if they're interested, there's a workshop that goes with it. So it's a learning system. And the reason it's so short in terms of the reading part is because people are inundated with things to read and information about how to be happy. And so I wanted to make it intentionally practical, short, and sweet. Mm -hmm. And it takes a refreshing look at the art of perfecting interpersonal relationships using three steps. One, ask. B, listen. Three, give. So A, who is Lee? I'm curious. And what made him think about these three components as opposed to other components in perfecting interpersonal relationships? Yeah, Lee and I, thank you for asking. He is a fictitious character that we made up. Mm-hmm. so that people could relate to somebody in the abstract and not feel like these ideas are too personal. And so everybody can relate to animation. And I'm so fortunate. Mm-hmm. My partner in creating the system is an Emmy-winning animator for The Simpsons. His name's Eddie Rosas. So we created the Lee character as a neutral person who could be identified all kinds of ways, and people could relate to this cartoon character. And we create Lee... And we transform him from somebody who's too self-absorbed into somebody who's more focused on others. And when he goes through this transformation, he becomes more relatable and more likable. And he gives and receives a reciprocal, strong relationship. And the idea behind the whole These Three Habits system is that, as you said, asking, listening, and giving are the three habits. But they're simple and not easy. Mm -hmm. You know, most people 
have a tendency to do just the opposite. They tell, talk, and take too much. It's not because they're evil or clinically narcissistic. It's just people are self-focused, right? Way back in the beginning of time, they did it to survive. Remember, fight or flight and survival of the fittest and all that stuff made people focused on self for survival. Now we do it to thrive. No pun with the show here. Now we're self-focused in order to thrive. You know, what's in it for me? What's in it for my children, my team? And if we over-index on telling, talking, and taking too much, it alienates us. If we ask, listen, and give more, it endears us. And those are the stronger relationships from asking, listening, and giving. Whether you're a leader, an individual contributor, a parent, a friend, it it works everywhere. Mm -hmm. On this note, Paul, much has been written about the importance of asking and listening in developing healthy interpersonal communication. What do you think is different about Lee's system than what is already out there? Yeah, well, let's be perfectly honest. Asking, listening, and giving, trying to focus more on the others in our lives rather than self, Mm -hmm. those ideas are as old as time. So there's not one thing new there. What's new with the Lee's Three Habits system, we believe, is that it's accessible and short and practical. So anybody can get to it. They don't have to spend a lot of time consuming information. And the pragmatism comes in the way that we can leave Mm -hmm. and start asking, listening, and giving better right now with our teenage children, with the people on our team, with our colleagues in the boardroom. And so the differentiation is in the way it has been synthesized and streamlined into just the essentials. Mm -hmm. Because everything else I have found in my 57 years, and I've been consuming this stuff since I was in high school, is extremely well-intentioned, but sometimes overwhelming. Too many ideas, too many frameworks, too many next steps, just three. And if we can adopt world-class habits of asking, listening, and giving, to me, that is a differentiator and that will have an exponentially positive effect. Indeed, and Paul, you mentioned that the system has three components. First is the three-minute video watching the Lee cartoon. What are the other two components? So the other two components are the handbook Mm -hmm. and then the workshop. I facilitate a 90-minute workshop for people who want to go really deep and get some help and do some exercises and do some reflection and then have a plan for how to move forward afterward. So the system is designed to come together holistically for people who want to do all three. Mm -hmm. Or if somebody just wants to watch the micro movie for three minutes, great, they got it they get that. If they just want to read the book, they can get that if they just go to the workshop. So we're trying to appeal to people's different interests in how they consume information, Mm -hmm. how they process information, and how they translate that into action. So the system may work for some, but some of the parts of the system may work for others. Mm -hmm. Given that asking, giving, as you said, they are as old as humanity, but at the same time, they don't seem to be the moda operandi in business. Did you get pushback from readers or fellow business people to say, you know what, when I do this, people take advantage of me? What yeah, that's a response? great question. That's a great question. Occasionally, people have said that. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing this for about a year and a half. And uh, here's how I respond. If somebody is asking and listening but they don't get to talk and have a voice, they might get drowned out in a meeting. Or if somebody gives, gives all the time, gives of themselves, 
and nobody cares for them, they might burn out. Mm -hmm. So those pushback ideas, I think, are entirely legitimate. And what I say is, if a person translates these ideas into action, and then they become habits, if you're world class at asking, listening and giving, you will know when to talk. Mm -hmm. Because you know what's being said, you're paying a lot of attention, you can interpret what's being said so that when you speak, it's spot on, it's mm -hmm. insightful. Versus just talking to hear yourself or to try to get airtime. You know, your work with some of the smartest people in the world who treat patients and other people in all walks of life oftentimes don't pay much attention to the person who talks a lot. They probably pay more attention to the person who, when they talk, they add a lot of value and they do so after listening. So it's a more strategic way of talking, not a way to become uh, quiet or subservient. And then the giving part, when you understand what people really want and need, because you ask them and you listen to them, then you can give, I think, more efficiently, more effectively, maybe more strategically, rather than just always being on, trying to help everybody and everything. Because sometimes people don't actually want your help. And, and you know this better than anybody because of your professional life. People want what they need. And if we take the time to understand it, then we know how to give to them in a more strategic way that, that shows wisdom. And then it's more self-preserving. Mm -hmm. I fully agree with you. Paul, you describe yourself as, quote, husband, parent, and friend, quote. Talking with you offline, I know you are a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> you have a full-time job in Kellogg School of Business. You also teach the part-time program there. How do you manage all this being a husband, a parent, a friend, and full-time faculty, not to mention your coaching and your writing careers? Thanks for asking. I, I try to do it well. I hope I do it well. And at this point in life, you know, I've learned a lot from my mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so I have a system now that keeps me disciplined mm -hmm. and keeps me balanced. And if I follow the system, I am able to pull this off. And I'm no busier than you. And I'm no more uh, important than anybody else. We're all busy. We're all doing really critical things in our lives to help others, to preserve self, and on and on it goes. But the system I use essentially makes me focus before the day begins on what's most important. Mm -hmm. And then throughout the day, I try to stay on track with what's most important. And I try to say no to things that aren't, even if they're enticing. If they're not on track with my priorities, I now am able at this point in life to say no. And then at the end of the day, before bed, I reflect a little bit on how I did. I essentially give myself like a performance review mm -hmm. for how well I executed the plan. And so when I, again, you have a plan that you know your priorities mm -hmm. and you review it, then you live it and you know what to say yes and no to, how to stay balanced throughout the day. And then if you review with some reflection each night, how did I do, what did I do well, what can I do better tomorrow? That constant implementation of a system is what keeps me on track. And you know, I have to admit, I struggle with it just like anybody else. Sometimes mm -hmm. I am up till midnight. Sometimes I bite off more than I can chew. So please don't think I've got this down, but I have it down well enough to work for me. Mm -hmm. So on this note, let's think about a day in your life and how you implement the system. Sure. Do you write things the night before? 
Do you write them first thing in the morning? How do you decide about the yes or no for things? And how do you deal with unexpected emails or requests that pop up out of nowhere? Yeah, yeah, great question. So I actually, at this point in life, prefer general direction and general guidance, like a compass, mm -hmm. rather than really specific to-do lists with color-coded calendars and time management detail, like a map. And that's fine for some people. Everybody has their own system. I have a general direction. That's what I review every morning. And then at night, I think about some specific tactics. I ask myself some specific questions. And then the reflection, though, is still uh, more of a general nature. So at this point, I'm able to roll well with that. It's, it's directional. It's not confining. It gives me flexibility, as you say, to answer an email or be on a great podcast like this. And so for me, uh, that's what works. Now, for others, I help and they prefer different tactics because mm -hmm. they have different needs. That's totally cool. Some people literally have color-coded calendars. They mark in there when they're going to eat and when they're going to exercise. And if it works for them, great. As, as I like to say, as master of the obvious, if you're getting the results you want, your system is probably working well for you. If you want different results, you might want to try experimenting with a different system. Mm -hmm. And how do you allow a time for flexibility? Um, how do you deal with unexpected events during the day? Do you uh, try to push things back? Do you try to look at what is left in the day after and you move blocks around or you don't and you just go with the flow? It's probably a little of all of that. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, I'm planful, I'm intentional, but I'm not rigid. So I probably go with the flow a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, here's some examples. So, uh, my wife and I are very lucky. We have two great children and, you know, in their twenties and their high teens, they'll still hang out with us. They'll still talk with us. So if one of them says, Hey, dad, let's watch a movie. Mm -hmm. I'll drop anything I'm doing to go do that. I'll watch the movie for two hours. We'll have fun. I'll be fully present. And then after we're done, maybe I'll work for two hours and go to bed a little later or today. You know, I'm in Chicago. There's literally two feet of snow on the ground and about oh, yeah. six more inches came last night. So if I want to get out of the driveway, I've got to blow the snow. So I had to forego an appointment that luckily was movable and they adjusted and I adjusted. And so I kind of roll with things that way. But what I've refused to give on and, and adjust are my core high priorities. And so in this case, you know, relationships with family trump everything. So mm -hmm. I'll drop anything to go hang out with my daughter. But I won't go have a beer with a buddy. I don't have that kind of flexibility all the time. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. So it starts with knowing the values, prioritizing them, and then things will fall after. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank exactly. you for sharing this. So, Paul, this is now time to ask you the question I ask everyone on the show. We all had setbacks where we managed to go from striving to thriving. Would you mind sharing one of yours and how you overcame it? Sure, sure. That's a great question. I think probably the most relevant 
and there have been many, right? I mean, we all have ups and downs. And uh, the most relevant, I think, to our colleagues who are listening would be, uh, I remember when I first finished college, mm -hmm. I took a job mm -hmm. with a really well-respected global company. And I was very fortunate to get the offer. And the reservation I had was I didn't feel like it was a good fit for me, this mm -hmm. particular work. And so what got me to accept the position was the reputation of this world-class company, the total compensation package, the feelings of prestige that went along. And uh, let's just say it wasn't a good fit. And mm -hmm. I quit that job almost immediately. And I was extremely embarrassed. And mm -hmm. it was a really difficult thing to do and a difficult thing to overcome because I made a mistake. I took the job for all the wrong reasons. I was not being true to myself. I was not being authentic. And so the most powerful lesson I've probably ever learned in my life came from that. To be true to ourselves, not what society wants us to be or loved ones want us to be, even if they are very well-intentioned. We have to be true to ourselves. We have to be authentic and live our professional lives and our personal lives in that way. And then in the long term, I think we will be fulfilled. But in the short term, I was in hell and I had to get out of it. And I was no victim. I made the choices. I was not honest with myself and it cost me. Luckily, I was only, you know, 22 years old. Since you were at a very young age, did you have these sensations of, I'm a failure, I could have made it work, I am not good enough? And if you had them, how did you overcome these feelings? Yeah, sure I did. And uh, like you, I've been very fortunate to have a, a pretty solid record of achievement. However, I always had a little bit of healthy self-doubt, which drives me and did drive me back then, even still drives me today, mm -hmm. but it's never debilitating. So I think it's a healthy bit of yep. humility and self-doubt. Yep. Um, and, you know, early on in my 20s and 30s, it was harder. Uh, and I went through some experiences in my early 30s that gave me more confidence that I could do some things that for me were important, for me were extraordinary. I took some tests and I learned that, uh, let's just say I had some brain potential I was not utilizing. And that gave me some confidence to do some advanced work mm -hmm. and get a doctorate and then end up where I am today. So uh, the healthy self-doubt and then getting some true confidence in my capabilities a little later in life is what made it work for me. And once that kicked in, then I was so fortunate to have great people around me, mentors and colleagues and friends and my life partner and, and family. And, you know, I got so much support that uh, that's what got me on a, a proper trajectory after that difficult thing happened to me in my early 20s. And, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to be here, very thankful to be here and trying to help as many people as I can as a result. Yeah. It is success begets success. And when the ball starts rolling, things get better. How did you deal with the family questioning your decision at that time? And I'm sure people would say, are you crazy? You are leaving this company and this paycheck. <laughs> How was that for you? That's basically exactly what went down, by the way. I mean, they loved me and cared for me, but Yep. They maybe didn't understand what I was doing and why. 
And so I just explained to them the rationale and the plan to move forward. And, you know, what were they going to do? <laughs> you know, it, it was my life. And, and they respected that in me, at least. And so eventually, you know, now uh, 35 years later, it all worked out. And, and we all can look back on that and laugh. You're confident about the decision, and that would made it really peaceful for you and also peaceful for people who care for you. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a great insight. Yeah. When we have genuine, authentic confidence and not hubris or arrogance, I think it shows, and then maybe that helps people build some trust in what you're saying and then what you're doing. And if your actions follow up your words, then you know you recover. And, and I think that it's probably good guidance for all of us. Thank you for sharing this story, Paul. And unfortunately, the episode is coming to an end. What a pleasure to have you on Thrive, Paul. Mohammed, it was my honor. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope this is helpful to your listeners. I'm always on call if they ever need anything. So thank you so much. Thank you. And for people watching us on Thrive Now, if you like the episode, please share on social media with friends so that people can benefit from Paul's insight. And until we meet next time, keep safe, keep motivated, keep resilient, and see you in the next episode of Thrive. Thank you.